Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Pacific Gas and Electric says it's facing a criminal investigation for possibly starting the state's largest wildfire so far this year. KQED's Dan Brecky reports. PG&E acknowledged earlier this month that it had detected unspecified electrical activity on a line near Oxbow Reservoir at about the same time the Mosquito Fire started there September 6th. The company says in a new filing with federal securities regulators that the U.S. Forest Service has reached an initial assessment that the fire started near a PG&E line. The utility adds that over the weekend, the Forest Service collected a PG&E transmission pole and other possible evidence as part of its criminal probe. The Mosquito Fire has burned about 120 square miles in Placer and El Dorado counties and destroyed 78 structures. The blaze is now 85 percent contained. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. Sticking with wildfires, a lumber mill that's at the center of the investigation into a deadly wildfire this month in the town of Weed in Siskiyou County has had at least seven fires over the last eight years. That's according to records obtained by the San Francisco Chronicle. Roseburg Forest Products, which is already facing a lawsuit, tells the paper it can't comment on the report other than to repeat a statement from Cal Fire that the investigation into what caused the blaze is ongoing. The company had previously said it was investigating whether sprinkler equipment had failed to adequately cool ash from wood-burning operations at the mill. The fire started on September 2nd. It killed two people, burned nearly 4,000 acres, and destroyed more than 100 structures. In other news, a new study shows that a fault system running through coastal L.A. and Orange counties has the potential to produce a far more powerful earthquake than was previously known. KCRW's Daryl Satzman has more on the new report from Harvard University scientists. The study looked at the Palos Verdes Fault Zone, which runs underwater from Santa Monica Bay to Dana Point, an area that includes the ports of L.A. and Long Beach. Researchers say the fault could trigger a magnitude 7.8 quake. That's about four times stronger than originally estimated. A tremor of that size could kill more than 200 people and destroy upwards of 2,000 buildings, But scientists say the likelihood of such a big quake happening in our lifetime is low. 
According to the LA Times, Harvard researchers made the discovery after piecing together previous studies with information from petroleum companies drilling and ground sensors. The report determined that the fault zone has a much larger surface area than previously known, and that the numerous interconnected fractures could rupture all at the same time in a single seismic event. For the California Report, I'm Daryl Satzman in Los Angeles. A Southern California city could attempt to fight the state when it comes to abortion rights in California. During tonight's city council meeting, Temecula officials are expected to discuss a proposal that would ban abortion in the city. City council member Jessica Alexander spoke about her proposal at a city council meeting earlier this month. Let Temecula be known as a safe haven, not for an, as an abortion sanctuary. Let the world know that Temecula stands for life. From womb to tomb. The city council is not expected to vote on the proposal tonight, but could decide to put it on a future agenda. State Attorney General Rob Bonta sent a letter to the council late last week, warning the council that passing this type of resolution would be a violation of state law, and his office could take legal action against the city. Councilmember Alexander has been a vocal opponent of measures passed in Sacramento that protect those who are seeking abortions and abortion providers. Just last month, a similar measure to ban abortions was proposed in the Orange County city of San Clemente, but failed to advance out of the city council. Some advocates who backed a bill that would have required children to attend kindergarten in California say they're surprised the legislation was recently vetoed by Governor Gavin Newsom. The California Report's Amanda Stupai says that's especially the case given the governor's attention to early childhood education. L.A. Unified School District had sponsored SB 70 in response to declining enrollment. And even though most eligible children do attend kindergarten in California, advocates said the legislation was needed because those who miss out on kindergarten often stand to benefit the most. Jenny Gorbach with the California Kindergarten Association said what's more, first grade is way more academic than it used to be. So kids who skip kindergarten come in with a big disadvantage. Children are expected to come into first grade with a base knowledge of letters and sounds and how to interact with other peers and how to problem solve. In a tweet Monday, the bill's co-author, State Senator Susan Rubio, said she intends to reintroduce the bill next year. For The California Report, I'm Amanda Stupai. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. 
Affordable housing is hard to come by for most Californians. In Sacramento, there's also a severe lack of affordable housing for low-income seniors. But as CAP Radio's Chris Nichols reports, construction is underway to help ease that shortage. When completed two years from now, the Wong Center Senior Apartments will provide 150 homes for low-income seniors at the rail yards. They're living off, you know, social security income or other kind of passive income, so we wanted to tailor the affordability of this project to make sure that it would target them and that they would be able to, you know, lease a unit in here. That's Danny Calasta with Mutual Housing, the nonprofit building the community. There's a lack of affordable senior housing across California, but the shortage in Sacramento is alarming. Researchers at UCLA found more than 82% of the region's low-income seniors were struggling with rent costs in 2018, the highest share in the state. Kendra Lewis is with the Sacramento Housing Alliance. She says the region needs to move faster on housing solutions. I can't express the concern of that I have for the fact that we don't have enough affordable housing in general, and especially with the senior population. This summer, Lavender Courtyard opened, providing affordable housing for LGBTQ seniors just blocks from the governor's mansion. For the California Report, I'm Chris Nichols in Sacramento. When we hear about homeowners in trouble or losing their homes, it's usually a story about foreclosure. But there's another process that can penalize homeowners and sometimes results in people losing their homes. That process is called receivership. A new investigation from the Sacramento Bee looked at that process and a company called the Bay Area Receivership Group, which operates in cities from Santa Rosa to Fresno. The company's operations have left some homeowners staring at massively excessive fees and forced them out of their homes. Teresa Clift is a reporter with the Sacramento Bee who worked on the investigation and spoke to these homeowners. She joins us now. Hi, Teresa. Hi, thanks for having me. So these residents that you spoke with, what actually happened that led them to lose control of their homes? The process called receivership is sort of a little-known obscure legal process. And it's an option that cities have as a tool when homeowners do not fix code violations for several years, usually things outside of their homes, such as, you know, grass that's really high, um, such as, you know, peeling paint, inoperable vehicles all along the driveway or in the yard. Cities will go out, issue code violations, and after several years, if the homeowner does not fix the problems, then cities can actually sue the homeowner in court and ask a judge to appoint what's called a receiver. And if the judge approves it, which they typically do, um, then the, the home goes into total and complete control to the receiver, and the receiver has the ability to sell or demolish it. But what they're really just supposed to do is just go in and do that work needed to fix those code violations that the city has issued. Right. And once they they have these homes, how do they start tacking on these fees that you found? And can you describe some of those fees that were given? What they're really supposed to do is fix the violation. So that could be like towing inoperable vehicles, um, throwing away uh, if they have a lot of junk and debris in the front yard, things like that. But actually, the receiver has full control to go way beyond that. And um, a company called the Bay Area Receivership Group routinely would go in and actually 
decided to do a total top-down renovation, total gut job of houses to go way beyond what the city issued as code violations. And while they're doing that, they rack up a bunch of fees. And it sounds like the homeowners in these situations are typically low income. What happens if they aren't able to pay these fees? If the homeowner is unable to pay the fees, um, the receiver has the ability to actually sell the house and use the profit from the sale to pay its own fees. And since the Bay Area Receivership Group's fees are typically so high, then that typically means little to no profit is left over for the homeowner from the sale. And in one case in Sacramento, this woman, Wanda Clark, um, is actually now homeless, sleeping on her uh, sister's couch because of that. Wow. How are companies like Barg able to get away with this? Is there anything homeowners can do to fight it? Homeowners can hire private attorneys to fight it, but in the cases that they do that, that increases the fees Barg charges even more because then Barg um, hires outside attorneys to respond to the filings that the homeowner's attorney files and to fight that court fight even more. So that just adds to their bills when they do that. What has been the reaction from Barg? And is there any type of push from cities and counties to move away from using this company? Barg has not responded to uh, multiple calls and emails that I put into them for this story. Um, One of Barg's employees um, hung up on me last week when I called to ask questions. Um, And as far as cities, I have not yet heard of any cities that have decided not to use Barg. Again, it's up to cities to decide which company they use. Um, There's, you know, at least six or seven companies in Northern California that do this work. And it's up to companies, it's up to cities to um, ask a judge which one they want. And I have not yet heard from any cities that have said they're going to stop using BARG. Um, That is something that uh, the homeowners I talk to that are in receivership are urging cities to do. That was Teresa Clift, a reporter for the Sacramento Bee. Thanks, Teresa. Thank you. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, September 27th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Nadi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. PersonalCapital.com The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at SchmidtOcean.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfetta from Throughline. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.